With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. Engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome into our final Friday follow-up episode for Season 3. In this week's episode, we're going to be answering questions from you, the listeners, about our most recent break in Kiao's case. Bob, I got about a half a dozen questions I want to run by you, so why don't we go ahead and get started? All right, first things first. Lorna says to us, a question that has been nagging me since I first heard Mama Judy and Jesse James Swindell's statements. Why were they looking for Ronnie, who was an adult, so intently? They made several passes around the school in the middle of the night slash early morning. Did she have info about something bad that was supposed to happen? If she thought he was at his girlfriend's house, why wouldn't she just park and wait or knock on the door? And why in the world would you drag your 12-year-old nephew out all night to help look for him? Okay, it sounds like there's a few separate questions there, Mike. Can you just break down one at a time for me to answer? Sure. First, she wants to know, why were they looking for Ronnie, who was an adult, so intently? I would love to know the answer to that question. And to be clear, Ronnie wasn't quite an adult. He was 17 years old at the time. So not a grown adult, certainly, and almost an adult. But I don't know why she was so intently looking for him, other than, I guess, you know, I have a 17-year-old stepson. And if he disappeared and didn't come home one night, I would be out there looking for him, too, even though he's almost an adult. So I don't find it completely unreasonable that they're out looking for him. And I think she said, too, you know, was did she have information that something bad was happening? Not that I'm aware of. I think it's I think she just her 17 year old was gone. Ronnie, as we know now and we knew a little bit before, was a troubled kid. He was getting into trouble all the time Uh, from what we've heard from new witnesses. He was into drugs. We know that he had some burglary charges and we now know that he shot James Bradley in the head as a kid. So in a quite a juvenile record. So I, I think in that instance, you know, it could go either way. Either you think, well, you know, he's just one of those kids that are always out causing trouble and you just let it go, which doesn't seem to be the case. Or uh, it's the fact that he, when he's gone, he's usually causing trouble. It may have caused her to be more intent on finding him, I think. Sure. And then she says, if she thought he was at the girlfriend's house, why didn't she just park and wait or knock on the door? Well, because he wasn't there, and she knew that, because remember, Ronnie had a car. We don't know, we're, we've been trying to find out and, and check on the old license plate numbers and things, and since that plate isn't in use anymore, we're, we're not having any luck. The DA's office, we're hoping, 
Uh, we pass that on to Allison, who's sent it on to Cynthia Garza. Maybe they can find out. But all we know about Ronnie's car is that he was driving a four-door Oldsmobile at the time. No idea what color it was. But the point is, he did have a car. So when he was, they, they, they drove by the girlfriend's house just because they figured, well, if he's gone, maybe he's over at Nanny's house. So they drove by to look, and when they didn't see his car there, they just kept going. Now, they went by multiple times because I think they were just, you know, if you think you put yourself in the mindset of you're looking for your son frantically all night, you keep circling around, and, well, maybe he's at Nanny's now. And maybe, you know, so they, I think that's why she went around the neighborhood so many times. But she didn't go knock on the door because his car wasn't there. And why do you think she brought the 12-year-old? That's a, probably the best question in that post. I mean, yeah, if you're going to be out all night long, why do you bring a 12-year-old boy with you? I don't know. Like like I said, you know, there was a point in the season where I really thought there was a lot of validity to the statement. And I still feel like there is as far as Jesse James Swindell. I really, to be honest, I struggle with it because when I've talked to Jesse, uh, Jesse James Swindell, he didn't try to BS me, but he he told me that he specifically remembered. He didn't remember the details about the car, though. I found interesting now in retrospect that he didn't remember what kind of car it was, but he said he remembered it being a white car as far as he could remember. In his trial testimony was where I was really, he didn't give the indications that you oftentimes see when someone's being deceptive or lying. Now, again, we're just taking that just from a transcript. But if you remember when we talked about it, you know, he when he didn't know something, he said he didn't know if the prosecutor or the defense tried to suggest something that wasn't accurate. He was quick to correct. Whereas usually when somebody's lying about something, they tend to just go along with whatever the person is of authority is telling them you know they you're really just oftentimes looking for the easiest way out uh, and that's been evident in a lot of false confessions that we've covered and we will be covering this next season a uh, potential false false confession you get nervous and you get upset and if you're lying then as as people are suggesting stuff to you you start going along with it like well was it this in and in jesse's case that didn't happen. The, the prosecutor would say, oh, so she was over. I don't remember the, the details, but it, there were things like, oh, so they were they were on this side of the road. And he's like, no, 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 that car was behind that car. You know, so he was correcting him. There's a lot of Jesse James Wendell's statement and testimony that rings of truth. But then at the same time, there's an awful lot of it that just doesn't add up. The whole scenario, to be honest, doesn't add up with the way you know, we've had questions about it from the beginning. And for those of you that listened to all of season three, you've heard me kind of shift over time. You know, by that from the season premiere to the season finale prior to this last episode, at one point I you know, I was answering questions where people were saying, Well, how do you fit four guys and a woman into a two door Z twenty eight? This doesn't it doesn't seem feasible. And we were talking about how, you know, how it could be possible, and I really thought there had to be something there, and that was simply based on the way Jesse James Wendell handled himself at trial. But as we moved along and started trying to reach out to Nanny Simons and tried to reach back out to Jesse James Swindell, and all of a sudden everybody started shutting us down, and then other reports started coming in about other vehicles, I guess my opinion now, and I'll, and I'll get back to what you'd ask about why take him. I mean, there's not, not a real good answer to that, but I think that what Jesse James Swindell testified to was his truth, meaning that he believes that. Now, he's an impressionable 12-year-old boy. It's early in the morning. He sees something. If his aunt kind of is suggesting something to him, I don't know how. And maybe it is the truth, but I think that it's his truth. I don't think he was intentionally lying about what happened. I think that he believes that is what happened. And maybe it did and maybe it didn't. 
Uh, as far as why have them along for the ride, that's that adds into the, quote, fishy or hinky part of it. She says she's looking for him all night from 11 o'clock at night till 7 o'clock in the morning. And she takes her 12-year-old nephew with. I just don't get it. And the, and the answer to that could be that maybe Jesse's mom was gone or something. Maybe she worked nights and maybe he stayed with his aunt. I don't know. Maybe she just didn't feel comfortable leaving him home alone. But again, at 12, 13 years old... I would expect a person who brings a 12-year-old along in the middle of the night or, or wouldn't want to leave them home alone to be the exact same person that goes looking for their son for hours on end at night. That's a really good point. Yeah, it, it, it does make a little bit. So maybe overprotective. Overprotective, yeah. Mm-hmm, and maybe a helicopter mom right. and aunt. You know, Yeah, and it could, like I said, so maybe there's a scenario where uh, Jesse was staying at her house and she she wasn't comfortable. It's not that she wanted Jesse to go with, but she wasn't comfortable leaving Jesse alone. Remember, Pleasant Grove, not a great neighborhood. So, yeah, that that could have been it. Maybe she just didn't have any other choice and didn't want to leave a 12-year-old home alone. I, I don't have an answer to that. But in general, Jesse James Swindell's statement is just, I'm not ashamed to be honest about that and say I, it's baffling to me. There are parts of what Jesse has said over the years that ring of truth. And then there's parts of it, the, the scenario in general just doesn't add up. There's just a lot of stuff that's really, really fishy about it. All right, moving on. Candace says, so are we thinking Ronnie Blackwell and Mama Judy fabricated the white Z-28 story because Ronnie is in fact directly involved with Kiao's murder? That's taken quite a leap and it's requiring a lot of speculation. I'm not going to say that Ronnie Blackwell was involved in the murder because I don't, I don't know that. I know that the only witnesses that came forward, the only ones that talked to police about it, were Ronnie and Judy and Jesse. So that kind of puts them in the forefront of it. And then and then that gets more suspicious when Ronnie starts telling police that, you know, he has information about some people that he hates and doesn't get along with at all. Uh, that makes it even more fishy. I I don't know if it was fabricated. You know, I, I still kind of hold to what I said in the in the season finale episode before this one, which was I think that Ronnie and Judy know something or or Judy knows knew something through Ronnie. I don't necessarily know if they're involved. And I think there's probably a piece of truth in her statement and what she told Ken Gove uh, as far as uh, the fact that there was a car and an abduction. Now, the police didn't have it then, but now we've now spoken to two different witnesses, both with, with Pat Bradley and uh, a few months ago talking to Sylvia, who were all hearing in that neighborhood that it was a car. You know, that, that's one thing, as we said, was consistent that there was a car. And there were multiple offenders. But when you read the police reports, it's never they're never looking for multiple offenders. They're always looking for one guy, you know, other than when they were kind of tracking down Mama Judy's lead. So I guess my gut hunch, and it's strictly speculation, is they know something. They knew something. There was maybe a car involved. There was multiple people. Maybe Ronnie was there. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he knows the guys that were involved. But keep in mind, too. When we're looking for potential suspects, there's one person and one person only that we know of that was missing, that was not where he was supposed to be, and was somewhere in that neighborhood at the time of the murder. And and the same guy that, you know, years later says, oh, no, my mom found me at, you know, 11 o'clock at night or midnight or whatever he said. And we know, well, we don't know that not to be true, but find it really hard to believe that that both his mother and Jesse James would confuse midnight with 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think they probably know something. Maybe he was involved. I don't know. And another thing is to we haven't talked a whole lot about on the show, but Nanny Simons, his his girlfriend, right, and her current behavior, and, and she didn't anything wrong, but number one, she she refuses to talk to me or anyone else about it. So that's understandable, I guess, sometimes. But then a few people that know her personally connected with her asking about this, that you know that, that you know that I I talked to and said, well, can you can you talk to her and see? And she's had a kind of an angry, violent, re- not violent, like physically violent, but an angry reaction to the question. She has denied that she was ever dating Ronnie Blackwell, which we know she was from all the police reports and her own statements. So somebody's protecting somebody. Sure. It could also be that she might just be intimidated by the exposure that might come with being involved in the podcast, too. Yeah, that could that could absolutely be right. We don't know. I don't know because she won't talk to me. Okay, Juan writes to us, if this is the hypothesis we are going with, then it would go a long way in explaining the second biggest question in the case, which is how Kiao's keys ended up in the Gove's mailbox. And the hypothesis he's talking about is that maybe Ronnie Blackwell was involved. Yeah, so I, making sure we're clear saying this is a hypothesis, it's just speculation based on what we, I would consider to be circumstantial evidence, it does go along. I mean, the, the keys in the mailbox were baffling for months. They're still baffling. And I even hesitate to bring it up again because it, because because people have really strong opinions about it. But it's never made sense. No one could ever really make it make sense. It doesn't make sense that they went unnoticed in that little mailbox for all that time. Like I said, we've actually, you were with me, and I walked right up to the mailbox, and it's you'd be staring directly down into it. Yeah, you're not going to miss anything in there. Mm-mm, I don't think so. And then the idea of somebody going back and putting it back in doesn't make sense. But if we go all the way back to when Jim Clemente profiled the case for us, we talked to him about the keys, and his first suggestion was maybe it was the girlfriend or spouse of the offender. Uh, and then he, he kind of doubled down on girlfriend because he believed it would be young, criminally inexperienced teenagers that committed the murder. And so back at the time, it was like, I guess that makes sense. You know, maybe they find the keys and they're feeling bad and they put them back. And then all of a sudden, Ronnie Blackwell gets put into the spotlight. Now we realize that he's lying to the police and that his whereabouts are unknown and his mom has a fishy story about a car. And Ronnie happened to be driving a four-door Oldsmobile at the time where we have both Sylvia and Pat who say there was what Sylvia called a boat and what Pat called a four-door car, uh, which would be what they would call a boat back then. Um, So he had a similar car, at least we know. We don't know about color or anything like that. Um, So all of a sudden, for whatever reasons, Ronnie Blackwell becomes, I'll say, a person of interest. And then we find out that the girlfriend that he was supposed to be with that night, where his his mother was looking for him, is Kiao Go's next-door neighbor. You know, so now all of a sudden the idea of if Jim Clemente was right, and the most likely scenario is that the girlfriend of the offender, out of guilt or remorse, returns the keys, well, the girlfriend of this particular person of interest lived right next door, knew Kiao, knew Ken, knew Kirby, and I'm willing to take the leap to say probably knew the Gove's dogs also and knew their patterns and when they would be there and when they wouldn't be there. So, yeah, I think that this hypothesis kind of maybe shed some light on the keys. If that's the scenario, if Ronnie Blackwell was involved, and it's a big if, and then I think that it's not a huge leap to think that Nanny Simons, who lives next door, ends up returning the keys. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. Casey writes to us, I was a little confused with James's statement. He said he was only friends with Ronnie when they were kids, but after being shot, he was walking back to his truck. Then it was his house. I thought you might be able to clear this up. Thanks and keep up the good work. I'm not exactly sure what Casey's referring to here, unless they're talking about maybe some misspeaking by James. Because there's three things Casey says there. There's, I thought they were only friends when they were kids, and then something about going to his truck and then going to his car. So let's first address the friends when they were kids. So I've actually talked to James Bradley at length about this. And he said they grew up together, him and Ronnie. They played together all the time. And it was when they were, I think he said, 12 years old was when Ronnie had stole his bike and he got in trouble for the bike. And then they kind of made up and started hanging out again. And then there was this incident when they were 12, when Ronnie shot him in the head and he got rushed to the ER and it was very serious. I mean, he did almost die. It just happened that the BB hit or the two BBs or pellets, whatever hit a major artery in his head. And he was just losing blood and he described as being cold and everything. But uh, in any case, after that point, Ronnie and James never hung out again. James didn't want anything to do with Ronnie. As far as James knows, or I think James said he thinks from what he heard from other people, Ronnie did some time in juvie for that. So Ronnie, of course, hated James. But that was it. They had no contact with each other after that. And they just, they they pretty much hated each other. At least James really hated Ronnie. Now, regarding the truck or house question, I'd have to go back and listen to what James said on the, the interview for the podcast. When I talked to James before and after this, he just said that he was he was running. I thought he had said he was running to go hide behind a truck, mm-hmm. not his truck. He's 12 years old. He was going to hide behind a truck, I think. And he took the shot to the head and then went to the house. And his mom and dad then packaged him up and ran him to the hospital. So, sorry, Casey, I don't know if I quite understood your question. I hope that answered. If not, uh, go and shoot us an email or whatever, and we'll we'll do our best to answer your question. Okay, and this is an interesting one from Katina. Katina quotes Ronnie, quote, he wanted to know what it felt like to shoot someone. And then she says, hmm, reminds me of Jay Wilds. Now, I'm not too familiar with the Adnan Sayed case, Bob. I know you are. So can you break this one down for me? So I'm trying to think back to something Jay Wilds specifically said. I remember him saying that he was the criminal element of Woodlawn. You know, he kind of fancied himself a criminal, I think, if I remember correctly. Jay said something along the lines of, in his statement to the police, that Adnan had said that he killed Hay because he wanted to know what it was like to kill someone with his bare hands. Okay. I think that's probably what she's referring to, but just in in general, uh, it does have kind of that same feeling about it. 
you know, him saying that he shot him because he wanted to know what it was like to shoot somebody. And, you know, the way Jay Wilde just kind of had this, I don't know, this his his story about Adnan and as to why he became the one to be involved in it. Okay, and then lastly, I've got a couple tweets here from Paul. Wait, so did James actually have a Camaro Z28 or did Swindell make that up too? If he did, I'd say the Z28 is still in play. Because her story, and he's talking about Pat here, was 20-year-old hearsay. I do think it has veracity, but are details like the car color for sure 100% solid? I wish I had a good answer to that. I, I, just, I just don't know. Pat seemed very sure of herself. She repeated several times that it was definitely a shiny black four-door car. And, and Paul's right there. It's a 20-year-old statement. It's hearsay because she heard it from her sister. So I, I don't know. As far as the Z28 question, though, no, James did not own a Z28 Camaro. Uh, neither did Chad Nelms, neither did Sammy, and neither did Chris Parks. Uh, he said he does remember a white Z28 being around the neighborhood back then, but James couldn't remember who drove it or anything like that. And I believe he's done a lot of legwork trying to track that down, asking a lot of people if anyone knew who had a white Z28 Camaro. And so far, no luck. So, no, James did not drive a white Z28 Camaro, doesn't know who did. As far as the veracity of the claim that it was a shiny black four-door car, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it's she sounded very sure of herself, but like you said, it's been a long time. Okay, that's going to do it for today's follow-up. We want to thank everybody for all of your participation and support all the way through Season 3 and Season 4. And as we mentioned before, the investigation is still ongoing into both these cases. So if you have any information on either the George Powell case, the robbery at the 7-Eleven in Colleen, Texas, or if you have any more information about the murder of Keao Gove or know someone who does, please put them in touch with us. They can email us, Twitter, Facebook, however they want to do it, call our tip line. So please stay engaged with that. But as for right now, we're about to finally make our shift into Season 5. And just two days from today, on November 5th, will be the launch of Episode 501. In this first premiere episode, we're going to start by breaking down victimology in the timeline of the three victims in the West Memphis 3 case, Michael Moore, Christopher Byers, and Stevie Branch. And I think that a lot of you who are familiar with the case are going to be a little bit shocked to find out the actual timeline of all three boys in the afternoon on the day that they went missing on May 5th, 1993. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Mike Bussing is our executive producer. All music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. Thank you to our transcription team, Stephanie McConnell, Britta Bliss, Sarah Mueller, and Anna Dindorf. And thank you to Chris Brinkley and Katie Ross for all the work they're doing on the website right now. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. We're looking forward to working with all of you on our Season 5 case, the reinvestigation of the West Memphis Three. You can keep in touch through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice.
All right, everybody, welcome back. I like it. Doing your like Barry White voice. I don't know who Barry White is, unfortunately. Get out. Get out of the studio. <laughs> out. Go. I'm done, huh? You're out of here. Take your little dog with you. Now we're going to get a bunch of Barry White tweets and memes <laughs> and stuff. And your little dog, too. Wizard of Oz. Oh, I say if you don't know who Wizard of Oz is, you do have to leave. That came from left field, though, huh? Well, because I said get out. And then I said with your little dog. You know? Gotcha. And then I thought of the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. Okay. Your little dog, too. Right. Do that in a very white voice. And your little dog, too. So, can you tell me who Barry White is, or am I going to have to wait for the listeners to flood my inbox? <laughs> Let's get it on. That guy. Oh, that guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Bedroom music. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Banging around music. Right, right. You know? Get totally. your lady or your fella in the mood. <laughs> Always crossing the line, Bob. <laughs> Let's do this. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 